0: Today's reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter forty-three, from verse sixteen to twenty-one. If you are using the Black Pill Bible, it can be found on page one five one. Page five one five, sorry. This is what the Lord says He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. And they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like weak. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. May the Lord bless the region of His ways in our hearts. In Jesus'
1: name, amen. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, I'm going to begin this morning by sharing a, a song with you. Some of you know, a very small minority of you that were here seven years ago when Celine and I made our first visit to ICP. do a concert for Youth Praha. And uh, that Sunday, I was invited to, to share in the Sunday service and uh, shared a few songs. So there's a really nice bookend about being able to share a song with you all on our last Sunday at ICP as well. Um, last Sunday while living here anyway. Um, I'm sure we'll visit. But um, uh, there's been another great bookend as well being at the retreat because it was actually at Emmanuel Center that five years ago, the Lord spoke to Selene and I to say yes to Drew's invitation uh, to come and, and serve here. And uh, we were just there again for the retreat. And it was so, I was just, uh, uh, Steve preached on gratitude. And I was just so full of gratitude for what the Lord's done in, in us um, and through us over these past five years. I remember sitting there watching Vince Corpus do his thing with the youth and and, and looking at him and thinking, I could never do that. <laughs> that is just so not me. God, you can't really be saying to do this. And and here we are five years later, heartbroken that we're moving on to a new thing because we love, we love what we're doing so much, and we love these, these youth and you all so much. Um, so it's just a great bookend, and and I want to share a, a song with you that I, I think I've actually shared here before at at ICP, but it's uh, it's the perfect one for this topic and what I'm going to be sharing on today because it's about uh, it's called becoming. This will be one of the songs Thursday night at the concert, so. <laughs> Where am I supposed to turn to? All my bridges done been burned through when I'm caught here in the middle. My purpose is a riddle, so to call me out like Ritalin, I'm leaning on these little sins, and insignificant, but they shaping me in increments. The man that I'm becoming so often, wish I wasn't. What does it mean to be a son, a brother, and a husband and know just how to live right, be honorable at midnight? Do your duty, know your plan, and lead others with foresight. Can I be weak? Can I let you see I'm vulnerable? that I don't have the answers, I'm not an oracle. I know it's horribles that make you look away, or can you find the heart to stay? Let's steal away and pray together for a minute. I'm asking for acceptance, I'm a work that is half finished. And in order to be shaped, I know at points I'll be diminished for the character of Christ and his clay to be distinguished. This is my becoming. At times, it's unbecoming. This is my becoming. At times it's unbecoming, trying to make my mark on the world without it marking me. But pride will set me up for a fall just like an autumn leaf. I'm trying to be deceased, dead to the world so it can never rob my peace. And deaf to the words of ones my pride would like to please. An audience of one, the one who died to call me son, the one who set up on the road and looked at me to bid me come. That's the journey that my heart's on, the daily I embark on, the hearing my Lord send me would be my swan song. But Samsonite and Swanson, man, so often I've been way off manipulating like made off eyes running wild in the street like kids with days off ask me what i'm made of crying like i'm f- <sighs> mm. crying like i'm five or six crying to be picked stop my feet and throw my toys making sure you hear the noise to show you my displeasure you messing with my leisure it's flower, it's flower, it's flower. this is my becoming At times, it's unbecoming. This is my becoming. At times, it's unbecoming. Keep it together. Show them that you're clever. Let them see the importance and grandeur of your endeavors. You better know you're busy. You're doing stuff that matters. You never get to sleep. Last week, you had three hours. Of course, you're humble. It ain't about the power. But when the teacher visits, you're too busy building towers. Busy body, you're too busy for the rabble. Build a city to the Lord on the map. They call it Babel. It's not me, though. I'm holding to the credo. Surely I'm above reproach. Never incognito. Strive to do my duty. I'm doing what's expected. I'm tied up on my tax. What's the deal with this inspection? I thought whatever's left was down to my discretion. Now you say I'm supposed to die? How's that different from oppression? Just then I caught the master's eye in my direction. He said nothing that doesn't die can have a resurrection. This is my becoming. It's to it's becoming. This is my becoming from the man I wish I wasn't. This is my becoming. I am the beloved. Just then I caught the master's eye in my direction. He said, nothing that doesn't die can have a resurrection. you. <laughs> wow. I'm so nervous I'm forgetting my lyrics. <laughs> so I, I want to share on a topic that is very uh, up close and personal to us right now, um, which is fear of the new. <laughs> so that, that song, Becoming, I wrote a couple of well, almost three years, ago, three years ago, as we were in the process of moving to Prague. And that process, even though we, we knew God was calling us, we knew he was in it, there was this sense of the costliness of it, not because it's hard to live here. It's quite nice to live here, actually. <laughs> but because there was this sense of What it cost us to to, to follow God's call, leaving our our families behind, leaving our our church community that was so close-knit, we actually lived in community, uh, leaving that behind, and moving into a very new season for us. We had never uh, done youth ministry like this before, um, a new culture, a, a new church, and that process honestly left me feeling pretty vulnerable. There were a lot of unknowns. There were a lot of questions of, okay, God, we're trusting you, but we don't know what you're doing. <laughs> because I had never once in my life considered moving to Czech Republic. Never. Um, and so there was, there was a, a good amount of fear through that process. And I guess the, the point of that song and, and part of what I'll be talking about today is that um, it was this realization that God gave me through a, 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 a C.S. Lewis quote, as most of my realizations come uh, apart from scripture, um, that God isn't so much interested in where we live and what we do as much as he's interested in making us into a certain kind of person. He's not as interested in what we do and what we, where we live as he is in shaping us through all those things and all those places we go. And so I guess the question that, that it boiled down to was, not just what am I doing, but who am I becoming? Who am I becoming through all of this? And it was during that first year here that the Lord really gave Selene and I kind of a, a, a passage that became our, our watchword. It was this deep encouragement we got from this passage that we read in Isaiah 43. And we felt like God was saying, I'm calling you to a new normal, a new normal. And so ever since then, I've had those words written in the cover of my, my journal, and they've been really important to me. So I thought, what better to share on than, than this? Um, so this is, this is the text we're going to get into. How do we, when you're in that season, and we're currently again in that season, how do you overcome the fear of of what's new. Overcome the fear of of the unknown that that awaits you. So I want to offer a little bit of context to this passage. Isaiah um, was a prophet during what was probably Israel's most difficult period in Scripture. This was probably their lowest point. And uh, uh, Isaiah had the, the fun job of declaring... That because of Israel's sin, they were going to be overtaken by enemies. They were going to be overtaken by foreign empires. And they were going to be exiled from the land that God had promised them. So that was a big deal. <laughs> that was a really big deal. And it was especially huge because of everything that had come before it. God's plan of salvation that he had covenanted with Noah and with Abraham. He covenanted with Abraham that he would make him into a great nation that would bless the earth. And then he covenanted with, with Moses that that same nation would now be set apart and holy. And then he, would, he, he, he covenanted with David that this kingdom, now it was a kingdom, that this kingdom would never lack someone on the throne. And yet here's Isaiah at a point in Israel's history where it looked like all of those promises had completely been nullified. Israel was not going to be, apparently, a great nation. It was going to be destroyed as a nation. Its its identity was going to be watered down and diluted and destroyed. It was no longer going to be a kingdom. Its kings were just going to be local puppets to to a, a great emperor. And so it looked like all of God's promises were about to be nullified and destroyed. And you can imagine what it must have felt like for, for God's people in that moment. God, how could you possibly have something good in this? How could your promises still be true with what we're seeing around us? It was scary. It was new and it must have seemed like all hope was, was lost. And right in the midst of that is where Isaiah prophesies these words of the Lord to his people. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. So how do you overcome the fear of the new? I think the first thing is to remember everything God has done. Our faith is historical. Faith begins, I think, by looking back. So Isaiah tells us that that he's delivering the word of the Lord the Lord in capital letters, that's God's name, that's Yahweh, the covenant God, the one who acts in history to redeem his people. And he refers to God's most famous acts of salvation, his most famous miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, the defeat of the Egyptian armies, the great miracles of the Exodus. This was the great story that The people of Israel were commanded to remember, to reenact, to to celebrate in all of their festivals and their holy days and to teach their children that these things would never be forgotten. Israel's identity was rooted back in these events. Their faith, their trust in God was rooted in these events. This was the, the, the starting point for faith. Now, whenever I mention faith, I like to to bring out the point that a lot of people, when you say the word faith in in current society, when when you say the word faith, what they're going to hear is believing something without evidence, a leap in the dark, something irrational that you believe just because you have faith. It's kind of the circular religious logic. And I think the first point to make is Christian faith, biblical faith, is precisely not that. Because biblical faith is a response to the evidence of what God has done. It's a response to the evidence of who he is, his character. And that has been shown through the things he's done. And so faith looks back at everything God's done in, in salvation history, and scripture in scripture, in our own lives. It looks back at those things and it says, I know I can trust this God. That's, I think, part of the essence of what faith, Christian faith means. It looks back and it knows that it can trust God. So, so biblical faith is not like believing there's fairies at the bottom of the garden. It's not like believing in Santa Claus. <laughs> biblical faith is like what we mean when we say, I have faith in my friend. And when you say you have faith in your friend, yes, it means you believe they exist, but it means much more than that. It means that you know them, and because you know them, you trust them. Because they've proven their character to you through the way they've acted, through their faithfulness to you, you know that you can trust them, and that is your faith in your friend. And so, Their past actions are the evidence that they can be trusted. In the same way, Christian faith is rooted in the the history of God's salvation. The ways God has acted in history to show us who he is. So the starting point, I think, faith is historical. It looks back to this evidence. And so I think the, the... the first thing that we have to do facing the fear of the new, and th- guys, this is, this is me preaching to myself, okay? That t- tends to be where my best sermons come, is me preaching at myself. Ian, soul, listen to this. The first thing you got to do when you're fearful of what's coming, of what's new, of what God's calling you into, is to remember everything he's done in the past, everything in scripture, and everything in your own life and testimony, We overcome the fear of the new, firstly, by remembering who God is. And that brings me to to the second point. When When we look back at God's love and mercy, all he's done for us, it gives us reason to trust him. If we look back at all those things, and the result is not more trust, then we're missing the point. Because Christian faith is not merely historical. It is historical, but it's not merely historical. Over and over again, as you you read the scripture, over and over again, we're we're told to trust God based on what he's done, and we're commanded to remember. Remember, remember, remember. Israel's commanded, remember these things. Reenact them yearly, through the seasons, reenact all that God has done to save you. And so you find that theme all the way through the Bible. And yet here Isaiah steps in and says something shocking. He says, remember not the former things. Consider not the things of old. Or the NIV said, do not dwell on the past. So all through Scripture, we're told to remember. And here Isaiah says, forget. Remember not. Now, he's he's not saying that the past doesn't matter. He's not saying, sometimes as modern Christians, we can tend to have this, this, it's, it's typical of modernity, really, that, oh, the past is in the past. That doesn't matter. I owe basically nothing to that because now I'm at the forefront of history. This is where it's all happening. We are modern people, you know, He's not saying forget about the past. He's not saying let's be ignorant of our roots and our history and just focus on the here and now. It's telling us that our faith and our hope, even though they're rooted in history, they're not merely historical. Faith in Jesus is not simply believing a historical fact that he died and resurrected. 1 Peter says we are born again to a living hope. The point of all of those things in the past, the point of them was to reveal who God is. They're to point us to the living God. Not a God who's based in the past, but a God who is living and active right now and forever. They were to demonstrate his character, to demonstrate that he is worthy of being trusted. So salvation history is designed to point us to the history maker. And if you just study the history and you miss out, you miss the history maker, then you're missing the point. The evidence for faith might be historical, but the object of faith is living, is alive. The history is useless if it doesn't cause us to trust God. And so, the second thing I would preach to myself is, Ian, if he did it before, oh you of little faith, won't he do it again? This is who he is. <laughs> this is who he is. And did you notice in, that, in that, uh, the verses we read there, It doesn't say the Lord who made a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. The Lord who brought forth the chariot and the horse and destroyed them in the past. It says the Lord who makes a way. The Lord who brings forth the chariot. It's pointing us to this is emphasizing not what he's done, but who he is. This is who he is. And so This is the point. If he did it before, he would do it again. I love that song, Do It Again. Every time I lead worship, I pretty much sing it. But um, Faith is historical. It's not merely historical. The point is to focus us on who he is. And I love, my my, my next point, um, again, comes kind of out of C.S. Lewis. I love the end of the last battle, the last book of Narnia, where it's really a vision of heaven, a vision of the new heavens and new earth, and there's this invitation, come further up. Come further in. Remember not the things of old, nor consider the things of old. Behold, look, I am. I am is doing a new thing. God never changes. But he's always changing things. He's always doing new things. He's the unchanged changer. He's always bringing new life, new flavor, new joy, new creation to his creation. And I think... As I think about the character of God, and we know that God is love, doesn't that sound exactly what love is like? There, there's this kind of modern mindset about love that, you know, in order to stay in love, I need to, you know, occasionally find a new person because that's, you know, love eventually dies and you have to, you know, kind of like re, reboot it every now and then. But actually, that's, that's not what love is like. Love is constantly fresh constantly new and exciting, not because there's a new person, but because it's the same person that is loved. And when you think of the character of God being love, he is always the same. He's never changing. His character is fixed. And yet, because he is love, he's always fresh. He's always new. He's always exciting. And so my, 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 whoa, my question is, where did we get this idea that God is boring and stale and a little bit grumpy, or a lot of bit grumpy, God is new and fresh and exciting because he is love. And he is always, life in God is the greatest adventure known to man. He is calling us constantly, come further up, come further in. If your Christian life is boring, there's something that that needs to be brought to new life. There's something that needs resurrection. There is always more of God to be had. That's the good news of eternity because if if eternity um, was just doing the same things that we do here on earth forever, that would be unbearable. That would be, you know, it would eventually turn into eternal boredom but because God is love, there is always new things. There's always something fresh. There's always more. There's always further in and further up to go in him. And that's why I love that picture in The Last Battle, because they're going off, not into eternal you know, uh, prayer service, but into eternal adventure in him. So my, my kind of question to my own heart and to your heart is, did you really think you had it all? Did you really think that there's no more to be had of God? Isn't, doesn't your heart desire more of him? Well, he's calling us further up, further in. Faith is rooted in the past, but it's not focused on the past. Hope is rooted in things that God has done in history, but it is not focused behind us in history. It's focused ahead we are always called into more and i love that in this passage god reminds israel of the greatest things that he had done in salvation history the parting of the red sea the defeat of the egyptians and he says oh them forget about that compared to what i'm going to do compared to what i'm doing now those that's nothing all of that was just the trailer get ready israel for the feature film <laughs> Get ready, ICP, for the feature film. Forget. So the the first thing was remember who God is. And then the second thing is forget about what he's done in the past. Don't really forget it, but don't focus on it. (laughs) You you get what I'm saying. And um, in that, in verse um, 18, It draws attention to the things. Remember not the things of old, nor consider, um, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. And I think this this is really where we get, we can get off track, is that instead of focusing on him, we begin to focus on the things. The things that he's done, the things around us. The problem, I think, Part of the problem of humanity is we focus so much on the things. We actually focus so much on them, we worship the things. Uh, Romans one twenty five delves into this and it says, actually before sin, sin is the symptom of a deeper disease, which is wrong worship. We exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, worshiped and served the created things, Rather than the Creator. And that's why Calvin said that the heart is a worship, uh, sorry, the heart is an idol factory. We're all worshiping all the time. Every human being is a, is a worshiper. The only question is, what are they worshiping? We can't help but worship because we we can't help but put something at the center of our lives and live for it. And it's part of the essence of worship. And that is what we do all the time. It's just that what's the object of your worship? And so, I don't know if you've ever wondered why the, uh, Tom preached a great series last year on, uh, on, on the Ten Commandments, but, um, so if you want to really delve into this, go back and refer to that, all the recordings are there, but if you ever wondered why the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, I think, again, to a modern person, that might seem, well, I know that it does, because I read Writers that that say that is a pretty egotistical kind of God. Everything's about me, right? Doesn't that sound selfish? (laughs) Why is it that the only thing that God wants us to worship is Him? It's because God loves us too much to let us settle for anything less than the very best. And guess what? The very best thing in all the universe, is Him. And so He will not stand, God will not stand for any lesser idol. Even if it's an idol that's meant to represent Him. Even if it's an idol that we've made of Him, He won't stand for it. Because an idol is a reduction. It's less than the reality. He, will unna- he won't allow any idol of himself to be set up because idols are static. Idols are in the past. And I think one thing that we can idolize is the past, right? <laughs> we can think so fondly of the past. And uh, this is something that God's been challenging me on recently. Uh, this, this past just This past 13 months has been... Uh, a time of a lot of change for Celine and I. You obviously know that the, the change that's upcoming. But uh, we had a daughter, um, and the, the the first change that hit. Are you ready for this kind of melodramatic story? Yes. Yeah. Are you ready? Okay. So the first the first change that hit was I turned thirty. Oh. Oh. <laughs> And so I I wasn't expecting this, but when that birthday rolled around, I started to feel a little bit deflated. Um, And and so just bear with me here. The 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 mindset that I was starting to get in was: this is the end of my twenties. This is the end of my youth have I achieved everything I wanted to achieve? (laughs) It was a long list. I was about to become a dad, and yet I felt like a child still myself. (laughs) And just a couple weeks later after that is when we were offered this position in the U.S. And so uh, up until that point, Selene and I had been... Pretty mobile. We've been mar- we've been married almost ten years now, and we've lived in five different cities over that time, three different nations. And so the idea of settling down was really scary. <laughs> I'm such a millennial. Um, and so I'm, I'm I'm going through all this, and I'm I've kind of got this mindset of life is just winding down. It's becoming more predictable. Please laugh at this, okay? Because it's, it's ridiculous. So I'm going through this existential crisis on my 30th birthday, right? And I, I take the dog out for a walk. And God, he, he has a way of speaking to me while I'm walking the dog. Because I walk him late at night and there's no one around. and It's just me and him. And, you know, I'm up. We live near Vishetab. And so I walk him up in this 10th century castle every night. Uh, that's pretty, I'm going to miss that. Um, and I'm overlooking the the, the city skyline, and it's absolutely beautiful, and and we come to one of my favorite places, which is actually looking over the Voltava on the the south end of the the castle, and I I, I look up, and I just got hit by this this wave of God's presence and God's love that was just overwhelming. I've had had these experiences a few times, but, but God just over whelmed me with a sense of his love and his presence. And I I went back to the house, and I I got my journal out, and and this is what I wrote down. Um, It's hard to believe I'm 30 today. I'll be honest, I haven't been excited at the thought. I keep getting filled with a vague sense of dread. (laughs) Is time running out on my dreams? Will life now just be downhill into predictability? (laughs) I told you it was melodramatic. (laughs) Your 20s are are supposed to be about exploration and finding your identity. So am I supposed to know who I am now? And now in less than six weeks, I'll be charged with the task of raising another little person in this world. I thought I'd have it more together. I know it's unrealistic, but that's another part of being young. I guess it feels like a lot is about to die. Then today, I came across a photo of me as a baby. and I have the photo here. There it is. (laughs) I I came across this photo. The joy. The innocence. The hope. I heard a whisper saying, which of these needs to die? If it feels like an ending, it's just because it's a new beginning. The childish must die, but not the child. The joy, the innocence, the raw wonder of life must never die. That is life. God has been shaping me for this moment to bring forth newness. Not the same, though it's beloved and dear. But the new, the deeper, the wider, the richer. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Life will not shrivel and wrinkle, it will expand and deepen and flourish. Nothing that doesn't die can have a resurrection. I posted that on Facebook. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I stole that last line from, from C.S. Lewis, of course. And um, the thing is, we can idolize the past, but God's future is better. God's new thing makes the old thing pale in comparison. He's doing a new thing, and what he had to speak to my heart was, this new thing that I'm doing, Ian, it's a good thing. You're afraid of it because it's new, but it's good. The thing is, it's so easy to miss what God's doing. And that's why he says, it's springing forth. Do you not perceive it? It's possible to not perceive what God's up to in your life. God is bringing about his purposes. He's invincible. He cannot be stopped in his plans, and yet we can miss out on what he's doing. We can fail to see what he's planning. God's plans are unstoppable, but they're not unmissable. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so if if you're listening to this and you realize I need to move forward in God, I I want something new in God, well, guess what? It's going to require some death. (laughs) And so this this is what Israel had to do because right at the start of Isaiah, Isaiah 1, there's this part where God is saying, you have all these feasts, all these convocations, all these sacrificing of bulls. Who told you to do all this stuff? And the answer is, actually, God had told them to do it. But he says, I hate them. Why? They are an abomination to me. Why? Because they'd become mere rituals, mere idols. They had begun to focus on the, 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 the things rather than him. And so they were missing the point of the things. And so, it's not that those things were bad, it's that God was pointing to something better himself, and he was pointing, something to something, uh, pointing to something new that he was doing. And so I think the first thing that we have to do is we need to have a funeral for our past. Here's, here's a, a couple things that need to die. We need to die to our past. And we all know that as a Christian, you're supposed to die to your sinful past, right? That's re- repentance, turning to him. But guess what? We're also meant to die to even the best things in our past, so that we can turn to him, so that our hope is on him and not on something he's done in the past. Turning away from the past glories, the the best of times, the greatest things that God has done, turning away from relying on those things so that we can rely on him. We appreciate what he's done. We're filled with gratitude for what he's done. We celebrate them, but we don't cling to them. We need to have a funeral for the bad parts of our past, but we also need a funeral for the good parts of our past. And you know why? Because if you're like me, the good things of the past are more deceiving than the bad things. We're we're happy to let go of the bad things. But the good memories, the good things, have more potential to trick us into thinking that what we really desire, what we really want, is back there. Oh, if I could just get back to when I lived here, when I had this friend around me, when the family was all together, if I could just get get back to that, then my heart would be full. Then my heart would really be satisfied. And you know what? If we were able to transport ourselves back to that moment, we would find out that's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is him. As long as we're looking back, we can't see what's ahead of us. You can't drive forwards looking in the rearview mirror. And so... Lewis said, These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself. So we need to have a funeral for our past, but I think the second thing we have to have a funeral for is our expectations. Because the greatest obstacle, I think, to seeing what God is doing now is being ensnared in what he did before, what you're expecting him to do. We can be so focused on what we want God to do and how we want him to do it that we don't see what he actually is doing. There was a study done that it was pretty well known uh, of uh, people passing a basketball around and, and, and you're asked, how, you know, count how many times the basketball is passed. and you know, So you're watching them pass. And right in the middle of the video, a gorilla walks through. And the study found that over 50% of people did not see the gorilla at all because they were so focused on the passing of the basketball. And it it was quite a groundbreaking study because it shows that what you expect to see shapes what you actually see. And that is so true spiritually too. When you're so caught up in God, I want you to do this for me, save me. And meanwhile, he's doing all this stuff over here, providing so many ways, and you don't even see it. We can be so blinded by our expectations. And that that also is exactly what happened to Israel. They were so caught up in exactly how they wanted God to provide the salvation that they missed the Messiah. Many people missed the Messiah. Their expectation of 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 a conquering warrior king on earth led them to miss the one who was going to sacrifice himself for his people to overcome power with with mercy and love. And so God never does the same thing twice in the same way. And so if we're caught up in expecting him to do the same thing he did yesterday or in someone else's life, we may not be seeing what he's doing in our lives now. We're always looking, I think, for, for the formula, the way that we can make things repeatable, predictable, measurable, but God's not like that. He doesn't do things measurably and predictably and repeatably. When we insist that God does what he, um, g- God does next what he did in the past, we're in danger of missing what he's doing. And so in that way, our best memories of what he did yesterday, they can be lethal because they can hold us back from what God is, is calling us into. The new things, the fresh things. When we, when we think of the past, a lot of times we, we, we idealize it. And that's only a couple letters away from idolize it. And so I'm, I'm wary of idolizing, idealizing the past, reveling in the glory of the past. Those past visitations, those past Great things that God did for us, they were necessary. But just like the events of the Exodus, Israel was not meant to stay there. They were not meant to stay at the shore of the Red Sea, expecting God departed every now and then. God was calling them into something greater. And so the third thing is, we need to die to our past. We need to die to our expectations. And then we need to have a hope of God's future goodness. It says, the wild beasts will honor me. Oh wait, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. Will not the God who made dry land out of the water also, be able to make water in the dry land and make a river in the desert. So your situation is new; it wasn't what it was before. Maybe now you're in a dry place instead of a, a, a wet place, and a, you know, threatened of drowning. Now you're threatened of of, um, of dying of thirst. God will make a river in the desert to give the drink that these people need. And I love that it says, uh, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Sometimes we're worried that God's not gonna give us things that we really like in the future. We know he's gonna give us the things we need. But you know, we're hoping that we're actually gonna like it too, right? (laughs) Well, guess what? God is giving us the drink that we need, but we're also going to like it because what, what kinds of things do you tend to praise? Things that you really like. If anyone saw the latest Avengers movie, I won't ruin it, but you know, you probably came home. If you love those kind of movies, you came home to say, "Oh man, it was so amazing!" Blah blah blah. You know, we praise. We naturally overflow with praise for the things that we like, right? And this is a promise that we were actually made for that. God is going to give us what we need, but he's also going to bring us into a place where we're able to enjoy the very thing that we were made to enjoy forever. And that is the hope that we have of God's future goodness. We're not letting things die for the sake of death. We're letting them die for the sake of new and better life. God is redeeming and restoring and recreating the whole of creation. And it's gonna be beyond our wildest dreams. And I love, these are the words that he says right at the end of the story, Revelation 21, it repeats these words, behold, I am doing a new thing. God is creating a new heavens and new earth. And he's recreating us. And the end result is that we are going to be happy about it. We're going to be praising him. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because we love it. Because it's amazing. Because it's what we were created for. Uh, Romans 8.29 says that we're being glorified. All of God's processes in our lives, they're glorifying us. They're making us of such substance that we can withstand his presence and enjoy it forever. Why does God want to give us himself as the final gift? Because God is the only good thing that never comes to an end. God is the only good thing that never comes to an end. And so we are made to worship him and he commands us to worship him because if we do, we find out that we are at the center of our created purpose, And that is the the joy that we have to look forward to. That God is going to use even the hard times, even the deserts, he's going to cause to be a place where we're shaped and able to, to praise him and enjoy him. We can have hope for the future because he is shaping us for something that is wildly beyond our dreams. And so, that's my, my final encouragement to you guys is that no matter what you're facing, no matter how scary the next step looks, and again, I'm preaching to myself, no matter how scary that next step looks, and no matter the questions you're like, God, I don't know how this fits. I don't know what's happening. He is most interested in how he's shaping you. And he is shaping you into the image of his son so that you can enjoy him forever. Forever so that you can enjoy what you were destined for. So I want to finish with with three questions just to consider, to, to kind of reflect on as we go away. God's always doing a new thing. What new thing is God doing in your life? Are you paying attention? Are you looking? Are you listening? Are you expecting him to do something new? What is God doing in your heart, in your family, in your, in your ministry, in your church, in your neighborhood? Walking into that unknown, it, it does take courage, it takes strength, but we can be absolutely sure of who he is, of his faithfulness, that he will prepare a way. So what new thing is God doing? The second thing, the less fun thing is, what needs to die to bring it forth? How can you tell? What are you afraid to let go of? (laughs) I was afraid to let go of my 20s. Are you afraid to let go of your past? Are you afraid to let go of of your expectations? Of your checklist? Don't resurrect your sin, obviously. If you're still struggling with regret and and sadness over your sin, you know what? God is. Saved us from that. He's redeemed us. He's cleansed you. Don't resurrect that. He's killed it. It's dead. It's in the past. But also, you got to know that his plans are better than ours. Whatever he's planning, no matter how good your plans are, no matter how good your expectations are, his are better. And so we need to die to them to allow room for God's... The, to allow room for the living God. He's going to do something new and he's doing something good. And the third thing is, how is he shaping you? We get so caught up in the things and the places, we forget about he's shaping our character. It's about the person. How can we, that's the one promise that we have, not that we're going to be extracted from difficulties and suffering, but that through the suffering he will shape us. That is the promise that we have. And so the question is, how can we begin to look at how God's shaping us rather than simply trying to get out of the situation? How can we change our perspective to see how God's shaping us? What new thing is he doing? What has to die? How is he shaping you? Let's pray. Father God, we are full of gratitude today for what you've done what you've done in the past, for what we read of in Scripture, your faithfulness to your people. Lord, that you came and took them out of bondage. And not only that, Lord Jesus, but you came as the new Passover lamb who died for our sins to set us free from a deeper bondage to sin to set us free to worship you, to set us free into a new exodus, out of bondage to sin, out of slavery, and into the freedom of worshiping you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in our own lives, how you've orchestrated all the events of our lives that we would see you and know you and love you. Lord, and I pray for any of us here that that don't know you in that way yet, Lord, that you would break in You would reveal yourself because the point of all of those acts of mercy and love was to reveal your heart, to reveal your character and for us to know that we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. And Lord, I pray for any situation that that any of us is facing, Lord, that you would give us your hope, the hope of your goodness, the hope of redemption and restoration of all things, even death, need not be fearful to us. Lord, we want to let go of our past sin, but we also want to let go of our past glory and turn our hearts to you at all times. We pray in Jesus' name.